We're going to cause trouble. Scott Farrell is calling the shots from the sideline. We're going to make fun of people. We're going to hurt people's feelings. It's Farrell on the bench. I believe in whipped cream with everything. Farrell on the bench in the biggest way possible. Hanging out of bass, eat a burger, eat a bad apple with a bad attitude, hanging around a bunch of bad letters, bad taste, bad law, bad dude, bad breath, bad attitude, bad vibes. We are live in the Farrell Appalachian right across the river and through the woods from where Granny loves to toke on her banana mac cartridge. She loves that vape, but she's drinking in New York City. The Big Apple. Ooh. People dressed in plastic bags, they're ready to travel, some kind of fashion, shake it up, should do that. All my friends, they come around, flats and flats and party up. Rats on the west side, bed bugs up down, what a mess, it's tons of tad in my brain. Splattered all over Manhattan, should do be shake it up. Hey, what's gigging? It's Pharrell with Carver High this evening. And uh, I'm watching a really good game. Dallas up 115-114 on Atlanta. In the NBA, the game's in Dallas. Dallas, Hardaway hits another three. They're up four. They were laying four. A minute 15 and rolling left. Trey and company getting involved tonight on the road in Dallas. Collins with a huge game. Trey with a bomb from 35 feet out. Money down one. He's hit several of those shots tonight. Long-range, downtown Freddie Brown-type shots, like deep threes. Fuego style. I got to tell you, uh, the game uh, that I was interested in tonight, the best game I saw was Indiana and Northwestern. Double overtime. And the Hoosiers win it by three They were laying four. I hit Indiana to win. Northwestern plus four. The double cover. And it was just an unbelievable game. At the end of uh, the regulation, they're down seven uh, with two minutes to go. They come back. They hit a shot to tie it with a second left. Then... At the end of the first overtime, they're down two with no time left. And Durham pulls up from foot on the stripe out in the perimeter on the wing. Foot on stripe two. It looked like it was going to be a three, but he stepped on the line. Ball goes through all net, forcing the second overtime. In that overtime, they beat him at the line. They shot 14 out of 15 in the overtimes from the line. Northwestern kept fouling them, and they were in the double bonus. So Indiana beat them by three. It was a great game. Northwestern had that game won twice, and Indiana stole it from them. That's a clutch win for them based on the fact that, you know, they beat Iowa, and then they go on the road to Evanston. I knew they'd have problems with Northwestern. I said so today on Coast to Coast. Sure enough, Northwestern basically led the whole game. They constantly had a lead, even in the uh, overtimes. And then Indiana just stole it from them. Northwestern started missing. They started getting away from their game plan. Their game plan was isolation on their star player. And then they had uh, two bigs in the game, and they kept getting these uh, shots in the low block, uh, hooks. We welcome in 
All of our radio affiliates, Sirius XM 204, Mightier 1090, Sports Map Radio, Sports Byline USA, Armed Forces Radio. Hoorah, soldier, hoorah. So, it's Pharrell on the bench. I'm Pharrell with Carver High tonight. So, Indiana ends up stealing this game. They win, and that's that. So, uh, that was a huge win for them. And, you know, you lose that game on the road. Uh, that's an ugly loss after beating Iowa. That's what that is. Carver High. <laughs> oh, man. Under a tremendous strain over here. I'm watching the end of this game. And uh, 118-117, four seconds left. Dallas with the Rock. Your boy Luka, crybaby Doncic. Uh, have you ever, I don't know if you've ever noticed, boy, does he cry a lot to the refs. Oh, my God. Is he a whiner? This guy's got more juice with the refs than anyone in the league. He's just constantly complaining about everything. I love his game. The guy's unbelievable. There's no doubt. But there's nothing worse than the guy that just whines to the refs and cries about everything. Every single whistle. Every single touch. Every single, uh, you know, breath. Every little thing he does is magic. Everything he does just turns me on. Anyway. Uh, Danilo at the buzzer. Brick. Game over. Dallas wins by one, but they don't cover. Oh, Trey Young in the ref's face. Lighting up the ref and cussing him out. Cussing out the ref. Trey Young getting all kinds of hostile and cussing out the ref after the game. He's telling people don't touch him. Meanwhile, he gives Doncic a hug. Richardson a hug. But he's giving the ref the business. I got to see what happened here. Why is he so mad? Danilo missed the shot. And then he just went after the ref. After the... Oh, he got hit by Willie Cauley-Stein on a screen. He got leveled. No call. Then Danilo misses the easy wing J with Hardaway in his face. Mavs win it by one, but they don't cover. Great show tonight with Greg Bell up in Seattle joining us. All right, for all on the bench. And uh, so crazy finish to the Dallas game. And uh, Trey Young snapped on the ref. Too late to give him a tee. The game was over. Dallas wins it by one. But, boy, I've never seen that guy cuss out a ref like that after the game. Right at the end of the game or even in a game, I've never seen him light up a ref like that. Mavs win it 118-117. Raptors beat the Wizards. 137-115, blew them out. Hit that game, hit the Mavs on the money line. Uh, the Nuggets are up at the half, 64-43 on the Cavs. And the Bulls are down to the Pelicans at the half, 74-66. The Pels are a little bit hot right now. And then the Clippers lead the T-Wolves by 11 with five and a half left. Grizzlies are up. 
118 on the Hornets with three and a half left, so that game's over. Nets, 102-85 over the Pacers with two and a half left. And the Thunder out of the gates, 6-0 on the Lakers in Lipstick City at Staples. 844-843-6879 to get on the bench. Man, I got to tell you, I was losing my mind watching that Indiana game tonight because, uh, like, seven minutes left. Uh, or They're down seven with two minutes left, right? Down seven, two minutes left in regulation. They're still running their offense. And I mean to tell you, they are walking through it. There, there was no urgency. Down seven. Uh, no hurry, no trying to score. They're just still, uh, you know, passing the ball around with a shot clock. And I'm just sitting there cussing my brains out watching it. I'm like, you got to score. I mean, you got to score and get the ball back. You got to score and make a stop, right? You got two minutes left. They're sitting there uh, effing around with the ball, passing it around, getting down to seven, six, shot clock, five, four. I'm like, what are you doing? Next thing you know, uh, and they had missed 11 free throws toward the end of that game. They had missed 11 free throws. And the strangest thing happened. So they tie it up, and they go to overtime. I'm like, all right, so they're still in it. They're not going to blow this. They, they can still win this game. But Northwestern controlled the whole game. They had the ball. They had the lead. They never gave it up. Indiana, they might have got the lead in the first overtime once or twice, but every single time Northwestern would answer and take the lead back, right? And then the thing that happened in overtime, I told you that was so crazy, two overtimes, double overtime, it was the free throws. So Indiana missed 11 free throws going into the overtime, right? And then in the overtime, they hit 14 out of 15. So the game should have been a loss with their... Turnovers and free throws were disastrous. I'm watching this team miss free throws like nobody's business. They missed every single – if they shot two, they made one at best. Or they missed both. And they were missing everything. And they turned the ball over left and right. I'm sitting there watching this game. I wondered – you should have heard the language coming out of my mouth. Next thing you know, they tie it up. And, uh, and they go to overtime – and then, and it was unbelievable too, because at the end of regulation, they hit a shot, uh, a floater in the lane to tie it. And then they go to the end of the first overtime, and this kid, Durham, hits a shot with his foot on the three point line, and he buries it. So it's a two. If it was one more inch back, the guy wins the game with the three. That's how deep he was. But it, it's a two. It ties it. They go to the uh, second overtime, and then they win it. And they won it with defense and free throws. Uh, Northwestern missed some shots at the rim, some kisses off the glass. Indiana got the rebounds, and they went down and kept getting fouled. And every time they went down, Northwestern fouled them, and they were in the double bonus, so they shot two every time, and they made them. They made 14 out of 15. I mean to tell you, they went went to the line at least, you know, uh, I'd say eight times. So it was something like that, right? They hit 14 out of 15, unless I'm mistaken. I was watching the game pretty intently, and uh, it was unbelievable. So they went from from hell to heaven, like on an escalator, because they, they couldn't hit the broadside of a barn at the line the whole game. And then in, in two overtimes, they hit every single one but one. How is that 
even explicable. You can't even explain how a team could be that bad all night and then that good in two overtimes. I mean, overtime is when there's pressure and chaos, right? And your nerves are rattled. And they hit, like, you know, almost every single free throw. They hit um, 14 out of 15. I just saw that Tennessee game check in. Remember I told you today on Coast to Coast? They were kicking George's ass in this game by 20, and they beat him by 8, and I was getting 13. I had Tennessee to win, Georgia to cover 13. I hit the double-covered air as well. I mean, don't even get me started on how many college basketball games I hit every night for you, plus the Bruins. Uh, Brad Marchand in overtime gets a breakaway goal, and Georgia and split his sack. He got him with the – he just roasted him like – Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. He gave him the old uh, dipsy do. Did you see that game winner, Carver High? I did see that game winner, and you're right. Uh, that, that dude, Georgia, if he can't stop breakaways uh, to save his life. Nice job by the Bruins. Good win. Rangers get a point. Um, I was watching the other one, actually, Scotty, pretty intently, the Toronto-Montreal game where the Leafs scored a couple goals early in the third and ended up winning that one in Montreal. So 3-2 win oh, for them. God, they, they actually them. got the empty they got the empty netter at the end, 4-2 final in Montreal. They beat the Habs. Well, at least I hit the Bruins. I thought the Canadians would win that game tonight. So are you buying that uh, Toronto's that good? Or No. Uh, you said it best, I think, today on, the, on Coast no. to Coast that you just think they look really good because all they're Listen, doing is playing crappy teams. Everybody is going to get gassed up between now and May when the playoffs start that Toronto is some great force. Uh, that, uh, you know, but listen, they're not playing all the teams that normally you know, put them in their place. The Bostons, the Tampa Bays, the other good teams in the East. You know, they don't have those teams uh, checking them right now. And right now it's, it's all fast and free and running crazy in that North Division. And they're going to rack up wins, and they're going and Matthews and Marner and all of them are going to rack up points. And when we get to playoff time, let's see if they can come out of that division and be one of the last four. Because I bet you that one of those other teams will beat them. It could be Montreal, most likely candidate, but I bet they won't even get to the final four. That's how little faith I have in Toronto. Because they always choke. Always. I mean, they they just they never get it done. And Boston owns them. And there's just. Too much talent and depth in the East, right? Is that what they call it, the East Division now? They have all these new names. What is that, the North, the Canadian one? The East is the, the Canadian is the, the North. And yeah. Yes, correct. And then there's the Central and the West, right? There you go. Well, that Eastern Division is so stacked with talented teams that uh, you can't even compare it to any of the other divisions in hockey, can you? I think that top to bottom, it is the strongest division. Um, there really isn't a lot of easy nights. Even before they both went on the COVID break, the Sabres and the Devils were both playing pretty good. And those were supposed to be the two weaker teams in that division. So I think the East is definitely the strongest out of the four. So they just fired uh, Britt Reed, the Chiefs. That just came in. The lot. The coach let go after, uh, as his contract expires after being put on administrative leave yesterday. So it went from uh, car wreck, drunk, high, 
to hospital, cuffed to the bed, puts girl in coma, misses the Super Bowl, put on administrative leave, and now fired. It was inevitable. This guy's battled drugs and booze his whole life. What a mess. So um, I was hearing a story today. I don't know, where was it that I was hearing this? Was it, uh, were we in a break or something talking about it? Like the um, the scene, oh, it was Mafia telling us, right? That the, the streets of New York City, like what people are doing. You know what I mean? They're, they're just, it's just turned into lawlessness. There's like, and, and Tell me if I'm wrong. Like, I've seen it on TV. I've seen it on the news. I've seen these people just getting just the shack beaten out of them by people. Like, you just walk down the street. You're minding your own business. Next thing you know, you get cold cocked, right? Attacked, robbed, stomped, punched, stabbed, shot. Uh, It's unbelievable to me. And then there's, um, right? There's just, there's no cops anywhere. Right. They've stopped working because of the covid. I mean, there's that's what I heard. Like, there's no cops anywhere. Not like normal in Times Square and in Midtown. And you know what I mean? Like even downtown where we used to work, Carver High, there were tons of cops. We'd see them everywhere. And then now it's like they're, they're nowhere to be seen. And everyone like am I I'm not even making this up. People are moving out of New York City in droves. Right. Like in droves. And then. There's chaos on the streets. People are robbing people, beating people up. There's uh, robberies and and fights and shankings and stabbings on the subway platforms. I mean, um, Mafia said today people are just like cabling all over the streets. People are like just busting off cables and going to the bathroom right on the streets and sidewalks everywhere. There's no garbage pickup. Like, have you heard all this stuff? Have you seen all this stuff, Carver High? No, I mean, I, I to be fair, I, I live a pretty uh, sheltered life now uh, these last 10, 11 months. Um, but I, I, there's been whispers of it. Uh, not too many people I know, Scotty, have been trekking into the city anymore. That's for sure. Uh, very few people uh, have been going in. You said it. They're leaving in droves. Um, but not a good scene. And uh, we'll see. Hopefully things are starting to get better. Well, I guess, well, I know you're, you know, poly positive, but but I'm trying to like establish here. So they're going to open up the stadiums and arenas now, like coming up here in a couple, in a couple days. Right. Uh, I don't know, February 23rd, that's in 13 days, but is that, is that the start date? The February 23rd, I heard that, uh, I heard that next week that they're going to allow people in to see the Barclays and the garden, see uh, Knicks and and Ranger and, and Nets games. Uh, is that true? Do you think it'll be next week? I mean, it sounds like February twenty third is the is the first day. That Ned King game is the is the one that I've seen all day today, circled as the first game. You know, in New York State. Well, really, the first game. I mean, the Bills had people at home, but the first side of all these winter sports that have been playing in arenas and empty arenas, that that Ned King game is going to be the first one that's going to have fans in it. 
The Garden put out a couple statements today about the Knicks and the Rangers. So, yeah, I mean, you're getting you're getting close now here. You're about, what, 10, 11 days away from that happening. So what is the, um, you know, so the Garden, doesn't it seat like 20,000? So yes. 2,000 people, yes. 2, people are going to be let in to that one. And then isn't the uh, Barclays Center around 17 or 18,000? Yeah, it's about uh, it's about seventeen in that in that range. Okay, so seventeen hundred people are going to get a go, or two thousand at the Garden, and um, I, I just don't understand how that's going to work. Like, who's going to get those tickets? Rich people? Well, yeah, uh, you know, season ticket holders players. have priority most likely. Most likely, it's going to be, you know, you'll, I don't know how they'll divvy it up. But you'll go to each fan base's season ticket holders, and I'm sure you'll go start at the top. Who's got the most seniority? They get first crack, and down you go. I'm sure people aren't going to get into every game. They'll take uh, you know the first two thousand on the list, give them the option to go to the first game. The next two thousand on the list to the next game, and they'll go on and on. You know, there's going to be people who are going to decline. Not everybody is going to run into those arenas again. You know that. So some people are going to pass and say, I'll see you next year. Um, you know, they'll, they'll figure out a way. Do you think that uh, next year, because like the Steelers, remember, I, I uh, waived my season tickets for the year because of the COVID and I did not use them. I gave them back. Do you think that uh, they're going to allow people back into the stadiums in the NFL next year? Let's say. The same scenario. Do you think I'll be uh, waiving my Steelers se- seasons again, or do you think I'll be using them? I don't know. I, I think it's very hard right now to try to gauge where we're going to be at in August, September, October with this thing. I mean, look, they're, if they're letting people back into arenas in New York in two weeks, I mean, that you would have to think that that's a pretty good sign for everywhere. I mean, geez, Florida. I mean, the Super Bowl looked like it was sold out. <laughs> Those were cardboard cutouts. I know there was a lot of cardboard cutouts, but there was a lot of people at that game, too. You know, there's a good 25,000 people there. Do you, do you think that, because um, 10% I heard of the uh, country has been given the vaccine, that means uh-huh. they're 90% short. Um, 35 <laughs> million people have gotten the vaccine. Do you believe that by, because remember they said in, in the beginning, the CDC, the World Health Organization, the, the uh, government, the president, um, that the plan was to get, and Fauci, to get everybody vaccinated by the summer, by the yeah. summer. Like, so, you know, now it's old people, first responders, nurses, teachers. They haven't even started doing teachers. Teachers are, they want to jump off a cliff because they don't want to go back into the, the room without uh, assurances and without the vaccine and without, you know, uh, no one's safe. If To me, that's just stupid. Letting teachers go back into the school with no vaccine and all these kids uh, in classrooms, I just can't see how that's safe at all. But my point is, if they, by the time they get to everyday Joes like you and me, um, it'll be, you know, April, May, June, July, August, right? But they're saying... Originally, their, their, their goal was to get everyone vaccinated by the end of the summer and that it would eradicate the, in, in essence, the COVID 
And I know there's all these variants and different strains and everything else, uh, but they're saying that uh, the vaccine will fight some of those, most of those, and then it'll be over with by the end of the summer. And then in the fall, everyone's going to go back to normal. Is that do you do you believe that for one minute, or do you think this is going to be like the flu in the sense that it'll it'll be here every year? Yeah, I, I think I find it very hard to believe that it's going to magically disappear. Um, you know, one summer's night uh, that it's going to be gone. I don't know. I, I think that you're slowly starting to see the way that we may have to adjust that this is going to be around for a while. And this, like you said, like the flu could be a, a, a part of life for a good for a good stretch. You know, do you think do you think that um, people like it's like a bad movie, right? Like this yeah, is like contagious. It's a bad movie. Or, all right. It's like, a, it's like a bad movie where we're all doomed and that eventually that it's just never going to go away and that for the rest of our lives we're going to be wearing hazmat suits and masks (laughs) i hope not yeah i i I just (laughs) do you think we're all going to die from this no i'm I'm not going to go that far killed a half a million people i know i know well here's what i don't like i don't like hearing all the you know these new strains you know that bothers me because if you you know they could say what they want. Well, this is good for this strain. This is good for that strain. Uh, we don't know that. You, you got no idea with how fast they push this thing out to everybody. I, I think that we're going to still be very wait and see. Do I think that everybody's, you know, there's going to be uh, 78,000 people in Heinz Field on September you know, 14th for kickoff? I don't know about that. Well, there, could there be 30, or 25 about- or 30? Yeah. What if you, what if you, uh, they said to you one day, they said, look, if you do steroids, you'll, uh, avoid the, you'll avoid the, the Hanta, you'll avoid the COVID if you just start doing steroids and then everybody starts like a bad movie, everybody starts juicing and then everybody (laughs) has roid rage and people go around snapping each other's heads off and killing each other. Do you think there's a chance that we could have lawlessness. Do you remember when they had the Capitol riots? What yeah. about COVID riots where the whole world and like uh, the walking dead, everybody starts eating each other. Remember yeah. I, I mean, said he was going to, he was going to eat his, his girlfriend broke up with him. He said he was going to eat her and her children. <laughs> he was going to boil their brains like Jeffrey Dahmer and eat her. Do you believe that the COVID will lead us to being uh, like Jeffrey Dahmer and we'll start eating each other? No, I I don't think that that's going to be the <laughs> the end all be all. No, I I don't think that we're going to get to that point. Um, you think I'm you'll wear a hazmat suit for the rest of your life, like Carver no. High going out to get the the mail and the the newspaper at the end of the driveway. You don't touch your neighbors now as it is. Then you'll come rolling out in a hazmat suit to get the paper and mail, and you won't even wave to your neighbors because you'll think they have the the vig that they got the hanta. Yeah, it's hard. You don't want to go near anybody right now, right? I mean, it's just, even when I go outside to shovel the walk, you know, it's for the 700th time in the last two weeks. You know, it's just... so I, was in, <laughs> I was in the hot tub today, and a guy, because uh, I work out, I lift, I swim, and then I sit in the hot tub for like 10 minutes. And um, this kid I know, he loves the show. He's a fan. So he's probably mad I'm talking about him right now. But he's, I just want him to, maybe he'll get the message right now. He's always talking to me real close to me. He likes one of them up close talkers. He gets a yeah, he, close talker. The close talker. The guy gets right up in your grill. I can't have it. I'm like, the guy comes up on me in the hot tub. I'm like, bro, 
Bro, you're getting too close to me, bro. Step back, son. Come on. Let's go up to uh, Seattle. Greg Bell's our good friend with the Tacoma news trip uh, on the bench again. How you doing, Greg? Hope everything's all right, buddy. I'm great, Scott. Thanks. Thanks for having me. My man. So uh, let me start with the grim stuff, and then we'll get into Russell Wilson. Uh, I have to get your reaction to this um, Aaliyah Taylor girl who went on uh, national television this morning and did an interview with CBS this morning talking about Chad Wheeler. And she said that, um, I mean, uh, she said, uh, I don't know if you watched it, but it was really unbelievable. Uh, She said that after he choked her out and tried to kill her, I mean, let's just get real here. This guy's a lunatic. That's all there is to it. She said after she, he choked her, he choked her, he beat her, he broke her arm. He bloodied her face. He, I mean, he almost killed her, right? That he went out yep. and had dinner. He went out and had dinner, yeah. she said. And like it, nothing had happened. Like he, he didn't even know he did it. Um, and then uh, she said that um, Wheeler was arrested after Taylor told police he, he twice choked her into unconsciousness. She should be dead. Uh, police forced their way into the apartment. She was crying in pain. Her face covered in blood. Left arm swollen and limp against her body. Fingerprints on her neck. Fractures uh, in her arm and elbow, has plates and bolts in her arm for the rest of her life, she said. And uh, then they asked her if uh, he should be going to jail. She said, yes. Yes, he should. She went to his court hearing last week and says, I didn't want him to think he had any power over me because he's got all these uh, powerful attorneys and that, you know, they're going to try to get him off. He's on ankle monitor, uh, like home confinement. Explain one thing to me, Greg. How in Sam hell is this guy free on bail with an ankle monitor on him when they already know he's crazy and they already know he's got whatever going, bipolar, CTE, brain trauma. I don't know what he's got. All I know is that guy, and I'm not wrong, is a danger to society and to himself and to her, I mean, can you imagine they let this guy out and, and he, what they tell him? Don't go near her. Like any guy that does these things to women ever listens to that one. Don't go near her. Don't go within 500 yards of her or we'll put you in jail. Yeah, sure you will. What kind of a stupid ass, backward ass, corrupt judge let that maniac out is what I want to know. That's exactly what she wants to know. She, in court last week, Scott said... Don't let him out. He should not be released on any bail. He wanted to go back to Hawaii, one of his homes, and the judge said no. And then he wanted to go back to Southern California, another of his family homes, and the judge said no. So the judge said you could stay in western Washington and have to stay in the three-county area around Seattle. He posted bond on the $400,000, and the alleged victim, his girlfriend, testified in a state, written statement read by a defense advocate a victim advocate, I should say, that he should not be out at all because she fears for her life. 
as rightly she should. There, the legal of this that I understand from talking to the prosecution side and spokespeople that there is a delineation between attempted murder and domestic violence assault. He's been charged with a class A felony, domestic violence right. assault, and imprisonment, right. also a felony, resisting arrest misdemeanor, but he has not been charged with attempted murder. And that would be the charge that could get him kept without bail and kept him in jail. And that delineation is why he's free. And that is very, very much debatable, as you said. That is absolute uh, insanity. Uh, so he's right now on the Class A felony in Washington and a Class C felony uh, for the uh, unlawful imprisonment. Correct. And he's facing 8 to 12 years on that. At what point do they... Uh, are they going to try to charge him with attempted murder? I mean, honestly, like this guy's finished playing football. So I hope he I hope he made a ton of money because he's going to need it. And those lawyers are going to take half of it. He didn't make a ton of money. He's been a third or fourth stringer for most of his career. Three of them seasons with the Giants. He played only five games this year with the Seahawks. They let him, his contract end, and he wasn't going to come back anyway. And then this incident happened two weeks after the season ended. Uh, I he's he's a free agent. They waived him just so that as if they weren't going to resign him anyway. But by waiving him, then they don't have any rights to restricted free agency or anything else. They weren't going to resign him anyway. Uh, he probably is done. He should be done with football. What's sad about this, though, Scott? Even more sad, on top of sad for the woman, obviously, is that there is no doubt a double standard and differing standard in the NFL. The better players get second chances, and there are. Three examples from the Super Bowl, and Tyree killed one of them, and, and allegedly uh, endangering and abusing his child. And police called multiple times to his home. If you're a better player, you get more chances. And the fact that Chad Wheeler was a fourth string tackle that played this year only because three other guys got hurt made it easy for the Seahawks to make an example of him and walk away. But the NFL. And, and and there are multiple examples of domestic violence issues, sexual assault issues, accusations, charges, lawsuits that the NFL has given second chances, teams and leagues, to guys that have those in, that are just better players, frankly, and teams will employ them. And Chad Wheeler's of the world, you're not coming back. What has he got wrong with him? Like, is uh, they're saying he's got all kinds of brain injuries or something? Well, there's nothing, nothing medically verified. She, the girlfriend, told police that he has been taking bipolar medication and stopped before this incident and had a manic episode. That's only been entered in court documents and in the police record, but there's been nothing, nothing on record of that uh, medically. I'm sure that'll be a, a piece of the trial that begins October 6th on, on diving into that, and that may be one of the defense maybe the defense of the, the charge, the, the, the validity charges. So that is going to play itself out, and that I'm sure medical experts are going to testify to that effect. So are you, so you're covering it? You're covering this story? I have been. Uh, I've read the police reports. I've read the court documents, the charging documents. Uh, yeah, they, they, I have so far. Now, the, the Seahawks, there was something, an extraordinary statement the Seahawks made the night after he was arrested, and, and distancing themselves from him, said they were done with him. Again, that was easy for them to say because his contract was out anyway, and they weren't re-signing him. Uh, but as far as the Seahawks concerned, this isn't a Seahawks story anymore. It's a former Seahawks story, but he is still here in King County, and yes, I have been covering it.
Wow, that's crazy. Greg Bell with us. Uh, so tell me about what's happened here with Russell Wilson and uh, all this talk about he's not protected and uh, and there's talk of, you know, he went on Dan Patrick's show and basically said, uh, you know, I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't like the way I've been getting hit. Uh, what's the real story? Does he is he do you believe for one minute he wants out of Seattle? No, he's not going to get traded. The facts are he's got three more years on his contract stat. He, if the, one of the thousands of reasons they won't trade him is right now it would cost him $39, $39 million in a salary cap hit to trade him right now. That's not going to happen in a year. The cap's going down anyway. He still has three years left in his deal. He's still only 32. He's still the franchise pillar. He is just asking for, in a, in a very strong and public way, that, to have the offensive line and pass protection be better so he can be better and win Super Bowls in his prime. He still says, he told us yesterday on a conference call that he still wants to be one of the best, greatest winners there have ever been. Of course, Tom Brady's the greatest one there's ever been, and he's got six Super Bowl wins more than Wilson does. And that's really what Wilson's feeling here. He's 32, going on 33 this November, entering his 10th year, three years left on his deal. He had an offense that was number one in the league with D.K. Metcalf bolting down the field the first half of the season. You've got Bobby Wagner entering his 30s. It's not going to last forever, their championship window. They've been prying it open here and reloading and restocking, but it won't last forever, and he's not going to be in his 30s forever, and he knows that. He's doing it in a very public way, but you can be sure. He is so calculated and programmed, and, and, and he knows. He's talked to Pete Carroll and John Schneider about this. I'm sure he's talked to Dwayne Brown, the best offensive lineman on the team, about this. And the Seahawks have already addressed some of this, Scott, by they think hiring a new offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron from the Rams, the pass game coordinator from L.A., that's going to install Sean McVay's quicker passing, play-action, run-based offense that will be more dynamic in theory than last year's deep-throwing offense. The reason Brian Schottenheimer's not calling plays in Seattle anymore is that Carroll didn't think he adjusted. Schottenheimer adjusted the defense's playing the two high-safety looks and the deep, taking away the deep pass that Seattle had bombed away on the first half of last season. I mean, they were leading the world in points and yards. And Metcalf was leading the league in passing uh, receptions, yardage. And then teams just dropped the second safety deep, and that was that. And the Seahawks and Schottenheimer kept throwing the ball deep. They didn't really have a varied passing game underneath. No quicks, no crossing routes. Nothing really of a run game to speak of once Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde got hurt in the middle of October and out for a month. So, Waldron's going to bring that Ram system of quick passing, bootlegs, run-based offense that Seattle lacks, and they think that alone is going to help the pass protection in the offense line. Scott, they were pass protecting for six and seven seconds at times last year with Wilson holding onto the ball and waiting for deep passes that by the end of the year wasn't coming. Do you think that, uh, Greg Belvedis, uh, do you think that, uh, you know, uh, fair enough that uh, everything you just explained about their offense and the coaching changes and everything else, I think will rectify those problems. But don't you really think that, like, at one point, I thought their defense was terrible. Then it got better, and everybody started saying, now this is the Seattle defense that we're accustomed to. But to me, that never really came to full fruition. It just kind of half-assed it. It just kind of started up. They started playing better defensively. They started being in in sync defensively, and then they fell back out of that. Am I crazy? No, you're not. And the teams, the, the weaker parts of their schedule, November into December, is when they got better defensively. 
and then teams that made the playoffs, namely the Rams, beat them two of the last uh, two of the three times they met. And the Rams did pretty much anything they wanted with a quarterback that wasn't even supposed to start in Jared Goff, whom they obviously had given up on since they since traded him. And 12 days after a thumb injury, he beats him in Seattle. Now, he was only 9-19 and 19 that day. But they had a rookie running back, Cam Akers, run for 140 yards on him. So, no, the defense wasn't fixed. It was just so much better than awful. They were the league's worst. and They were the worst in NFL history in giving up yards and passing yards through eight games. So it had to get better, and it did. But that was a pretty low bar. So they weren't fixed on defense either. Now they've got the both starting cornerbacks. Contracts are up. Shaquille Griffin and Quentin Dunbar. I think Griffin's going to price himself out of Seattle. So they aren't whole, to your point. Even if they get better pass protection, they still need a running game. Chris Carson's contract is up. Carlos Hyde's contract is up. I think Hyde's going to come back more cheaply, and Carson will will price himself out. But, yeah, they've got other issues in a year that the cap's going down, and they only have four draft picks because they traded their first-round pick to Jets for Jamal Adams. I think they, uh, it, it, it sounds to me like they got all kinds of headaches and, and little problems, and they got to deal with all those players and signings, and they got to fix the defense and uh, figure out what they're going to do to keep him happy and keep him protected. It sounds like they got a lot of work to do in the offseason. Greg, it's a pleasure catching up. If, uh, if this story with Chad Wheeler gets any deeper, we'll get you back on, my man. Thanks for coming on the bench tonight. Yes, sir. Good to talk to you again, Scott. Thanks a lot. My man Greg Bell with the Tacoma Trib uh, on the bench tonight. We got a lot going on. Don't go anywhere. All right, Pharrell on the bench, 844-843-6879. I just was saying to Carver High um, that – the Bucks are, well, they're up right now, 10 on the Suns with 420, hey now, uh, left in the second quarter. I think that uh, they're, it's 56-49 now after an eight in bucket. I honestly think um, they're better now than when they were, you know, the best team allegedly in the East the last two years and they lost in the playoffs, right? It's two years running, right? Uh, Carver High where they failed in the playoffs. So I don't believe the team I'm watching now is actually uh, the same team. I think they're better than those two teams that lost in the playoffs that you love when they lose. Carver High hates the Bucs more than any team. He hates the Bucs. They can't lose. They can't lose fast enough. I mean, they can't lose fast enough. I will be the biggest net and 76er fan when we get to the Eastern Conference playoffs. I can't wait. And Celtics. Them too. I all this, the, well, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I think Philly is playing great, but I'd still say the Celtics and the Bucks are the two best teams. And I, I'm not buying the Nets at all, at all, because they don't play any defense ever. I mean, tonight they were up 32 at the half. They won by 10. That's how little defense they play. That's how little defense they play. They were up 32 at the half, and they won by 10. So they don't even play defense when uh, – it's a close game. They don't play defense when they're blowing out a team. They won by 10, 104-94. They're a joke. I, I love watching Harden, Kyrie, and Durant play together. Durant's, like, in hiding now because of the COVID. I mean, I honestly believe the conspiracy that they, the NBA, screwed up the Durant thing bad. I mean, 
he doesn't have COVID. He was in contact with somebody that did. He, he passed the test, everything else. They let him play in the game after they said you can't play. Then he came in and played. Then at uh, the third quarter, they came back to him and said, get out, you're done. And then he's off till Friday, and he misses like eight, ten days. I think that's BS when there was nothing wrong with him. But that team plays no defense. They're going nowhere.